I've told you that I grew up on a farm in central Alberta. I've told you that before. Uh, when I went to high school, we had certain, let's call them political factions within my high school. Political arguments, maybe, or just different groups. Kind of like the, is it too hot in here group, or the, is it too cold in here group. But we had, we had a number of different political factions. For example, we had this political faction. But we also, of course, had this political faction. And, you know, that was a pretty tough rivalry in my high school. Uh, you know, there were other minor political factions, maybe like this one. Now, in my high school, that was a very small little group that would have ascribed to that one because way more of them would have ascribed to this one. <laughs> yeah. That was the kind of high school I grew up in. Or maybe this other, uh, this faction. That, that was my, always my father's favorite uh, faction. But those, I mean, those factions were there in high school and we could argue about them for a long time. And and they, it didn't matter what the facts were. We would just make them up as we went along, right? You know, um, if you didn't like Fords, you could say, well, Ford stands for fix or repair daily. And that just settled the argument, right? That was the end of it. And we would spend long periods of time arguing about this stuff. And we realized it just, it, we could go on and on about that stuff. And as we got out of high school, we realized that that was kind of silly, and our arguments became much better, didn't they? I imagine you had the same sort of thing that went on in your high school, and you probably, in later years, you, you did the proper consumer reports, and you studied up on which vehicle was actually the best vehicle. I understand there's some in the room who pay close attention to that sort of stuff and really research that sort of stuff. Right, James? Am I right? Oh, yeah, there we go. There, well, that too. There you go. Who's paying to get that in there? But the reality is that some of those conversations still happen, right? We, we all study up on the political, um, the platforms of the political parties, right? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> But we have our favorite political parties and that sort of thing. And if you went to a Tim Hortons today, even, this morning, I, you could probably see a bunch of people sitting around. And if you sat just a couple of tables over, you might hear loudly enough their political conversations and the ramblings. Some of it may be well-researched, and other might be just kind of blind ramblings about these things. And these things are, there's lots of controversies we get into in our culture, don't we? It's, it's challenging. How do we navigate through the various controversies of our time? And I'm going to leave you hanging on that for a minute here. But let's consider, we'll come back to that, that conversation in a minute. But let's consider that perhaps our ancient practices of the faith, our practical and um, our spiritual practices might be a hint into some of this. So we are going to continue on into this uh, series on spiritual practices of the ancient faith. Now, by now, you know, we've looked at a number of them. We've looked at things like meditation and prayer and solitude. We've looked at uh, fasting, study, and two weeks ago, Pastor Tamil 
uh, walked us through a very good message on simplicity. And that was two weeks ago, so I want to remind you some of what she told us about that. She told us that simplicity is not just a fad, and it's not just a way of looking at our stuff and throwing out what doesn't spark joy. I have heard that terminology around here. Uh, and, but simplicity is freedom, and it is a way of keeping Jesus at the center of our lives. And so I guess that's kind of what I want us to emphasize here for just a moment. And remember that all of these spiritual practices, you may be feeling kind of weighed down or burdened by all of these spiritual practices we've talked about, and how will I ever have time to do any of this? But the reality is that they are all spiritual practices, and the purpose of them is to keep Jesus at the center of our lives. So if you remember nothing else about this whole series, remember that that's what these practices are for. And so we're going to continue on in that vein with a look at the spiritual practice of submission. And I want you to remember that submission is also about freedom, and it's also about keeping Jesus at the center of our lives, at the very heart of our lives. Uh, Submission is a word that has kind of lost favor in our culture, I would say. We don't like to hear that word, submission. And we used to talk about it kind of in a fashion in wedding ceremonies. We often would hear couples say that they would love, honor, and obey each other. But that kind of terminology is not, doesn't happen as much in our wedding ceremonies anymore. It's really just a, a reference to... Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, that says, Submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, perhaps some of you use that language in your vows, but it's kind of fallen out of favor. That word submission is not, or obeying, is kind of hard for us to handle sometimes. Perhaps another hang-up we have with the word uh, submit is that the 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 phrase submit to God is actually a literal translation of the Arabic word for Islam. Islam means submit to God. And so for Islamic people, uh, we may admire their commitment to Allah and the prophets, but we get the sense that that kind of blind faith to a religion, that kind of blind submission to a religion in either Christianity or Islam is not what we want. It's not that kind of submission we're talking about. In fact, in our, our culture, we tend to think that submission is a little bit more about being controlled by others. And we've seen some bad examples of people who have been controlled by others. We've seen uh, overbearing employers that control their employees We've seen uh, control by pastors or church structures that have demanded a submission to certain rules. We've seen uh, people controlled by abusive spouses sometimes or abusive parents or systems that work on fear and intimidation. We're not talking about that kind of submission. If you want some good reading on that kind of uh, how we avoid that kind of submission and that kind of control, I would highly recommend a book for you called uh, A Church Called Tove uh, by uh, Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger. Uh, a very good book on some of the problems that can arise in a church when 
we don't appreciate what submission truly is. So we're not talking about those kinds of bad examples of submission. And submission is hard to understand on the world stage to some extent right now. We talk about um, what's going on in Ukraine, and we say Ukraine should never submit to Russia, and we get very confused, and we try and figure out what does submission as a spiritual practice look like in our world today. So, after saying what submission is not, let's kind of talk a little bit more now about what submission as a spiritual practice would be. Richard Foster, whom we've been referring to a lot in this sermon series on his, in his book, Celebration of Joy, says that submission is the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get your own way. He's talking about submitting to the will of God and resting in the will of God. He talks about seven acts of submission. He talks about how we submit to God, to scriptures, to family, to neighbors, to fellow believers, to the helpless, oppressed, and poor, and to the needs of the world. Now, this sounds like a whole way of life. It doesn't sound like a spiritual practice, does it? But the fact is, the ancient church, our spiritual ancestors, recognized that submission was both a spiritual practice, but also a way of life. And so they would have never been far from this concept of spiritual uh, submission. So I said we'd get back to the whole conversations going on in the the Tim Hortons and how we are wrestling with these conversations in our culture. And uh, there's a lot of those conversations going on. And what does it look like in our day-to-day practices to uh, understand this submission in light of these conversations going on? Uh, We have conversations going on in our world right now. And if you went down to the Tim Hortons today, we'd probably hear a conversation about the, the federal government or the provincial government or the, the county government. We might hear conversations about how should we treat, uh, how should we compassionately treat farm workers or what about immigration to Canada and all these different conversations. Minority rights, mental health, sexual ethics. We would still hear those conversations about best brands of cars to choose, and on and on and on. And for every argument that someone puts forward, you can always say, yeah, but, but, yeah, but, but there's an, a counter-argument to that. And to quote a much-beloved uh, lead pastor here at this congregation, I would suggest to you that we need to put Jesus in the middle of our butt. Yes, Jeff McLeod, I said it. I hope you see this message someday. But that was his famous saying, that we need to put Jesus in the middle of our butt. What he's meaning is that Jesus needs to come into the middle of our arguments, right? That Jesus needs to be there at the center of those arguments, And so as we think about these things, we think about how do we submit to Jesus in the midst of these conversations that are going on in our world today? Well, 
Let's look at some scriptures together and remind ourselves of what Jesus has to say about these things. So the first one we're going to look at is Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. There, Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. So here in this passage, Jesus is calling us to submit to him. But what does this submission look like? We're submitting to someone who is gentle at heart. We're also submitting to someone who knows the importance of spiritual authority. And Jesus submitted to his heavenly father. Just in the verses ahead of that, in verses 25 through 27, Jesus prays to the authority of the father and submits to his ways. And then in verses 28 and 30 here, he's calling upon us to submit to his authority. But he's not calling us to anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. And he's painting us a picture of a a gentle farmer who puts the yoke upon oxen. I think we have a picture of it here. Yeah. I mean, this is the picture of the gentle farmer that puts the yoke upon the beasts to help them to be gentle beasts that would do the work of the farm. And Jesus is saying, take this yoke upon you, for it is gentle. We have this picture of a gentle farmer. We even have this picture of kind of God the Father putting this gentle yoke upon our shoulders. We're not wild beasts that try and shake off the yoke. No, the the beasts, the, the oxen, they are used to having that yoke on them, and they walk with that yoke. And a yoke is often made for two oxen like that. And who's on the other side of that yoke with us? Jesus is the other one willing to be under the authority of God. And it's like we're yoked together with Jesus in this um, submission to God the Father. Richard Foster, again, speaks of submission in this way. He says, The singular rationale for submission is staggering when we compare it to other first century writings. He's saying, In the first century writings, in them, there was a constant appeal to submission because that was the way the gods created things. It was just simply one's station in life. But, Not a single New Testament writer appeals to submission on this basis. The teaching is revolutionary. They completely ignore all the contemporary customs of the superordinate or the the high ups and the subordinates and the low downs and called everyone to count others better than themselves. This is the revolutionary way that Jesus speaks of submission. The Roman world of the time taught that everybody was in a hierarchical system. And so the slave was uh, submissive to the owner. And the the servant in the household was uh, submissive to the lady of the household. The lady of the household was submissive to the father in the the man of the household. And the 
owner, the uh, worker in the field was submissive to the owner in the field, and the owner of the fields was submissive to the tax collectors and the, the soldiers. And the soldiers were submissive to the rulers, and the rulers were submissive to the Caesar. That was the structure of that time. And Jesus is saying, we submit to one another. That there is this submission that recognizes that everyone is the same and we count others as better than ourselves. Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and your strength. And the second command is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So we now live in a kingdom where we are, uh, that our neighbor is not better than us or lower than us. We love our neighbors as ourselves. There's no hierarchy in the kingdom of God. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 says, Calling the crowd to join his disciples, Jesus said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. And those words were given to the high and the mighty and the lowly and the rich and the poor, and all were called to follow him and to uh, give up their own way and take up the cross and follow him. Matthew 10, 39 says, If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life, you will find it. One more longish quote from Richard Foster. He says, The biblical teaching on submission focuses primarily on the spirit with which we view other people. Scripture does not set forth a series of hierarchical relationships, but to communicate to us an inner attitude of mutual submission. In submission, we are at last free to value other people. Their dreams and their plans become important to us. We have entered into a new, wonderful, glorious freedom. The freedom to give up our rights for the good of others. For the first time, we can love people unconditionally. We have given up the right to demand that they return our love. We discover that it is far better to serve our neighbor than to have our own way. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, reminds us of the model that has been set for us by Jesus. Jesus said, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. That is spiritual submission. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. Jesus gave up his right to be God. He gave up his right to being righteous, and he died a criminal's death on a cross, even though he was righteous. He gave up his rights of that righteous person that he was. Richard Foster, again, his uh, definition of it is the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get your own way. We might add that the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to do the right thing. You see, the grace that Jesus offers to us covers the mistakes we make. Even now, as we think about our own lives, those mistakes we've made, those sins we've committed in the past can debilitate us. But grace allows us, if we submit to grace, it allows us to be forgiven. And the cross and submitting to grace reminds us that we have the cross that takes away our sins. The cross says, yes, you've sinned. You're forgiven. Now let's move on and let's go on in our faith in Christ. But there are a lot of people walking around in our world that don't understand that they can be forgiven of their sins. And their sins and their mistakes are debilitating them. But once we understand and submit to grace, we know that we have forgiveness. All right, well... Let's make this a little bit more practical. I've got three examples of practical ways we can live this out, and then we'll wrap up this message. One of the practical ways that we have to look at this is, what does submission look like when we disagree with each other? Uh, When that Tim Hortons conversation gets a little out of hand and uh, we find ourselves truly disagreeing with somebody else. Let's look at a biblical example. In Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, we see an example of Peter and Paul being at odds with each other. How did they work that out when they were at odds with each other? Galatians chapter 2, this is Paul speaking. He wrote the book of Galatians, and he says, When Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived... He ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. You can read about that as well in Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. I'm not going to go through the whole thing there. But you'll see there some of what was going on in the church at that time. And here we see this example of Peter and Paul being at odds with each other. And and they were both committed to proclaiming the gospel to both Jews and Gentiles. They both knew that that was the way God had called them. And yet... Peter started feeling self-conscious about sitting and eating with the Gentiles. When some other Jews came along and said, no, Peter, you shouldn't do that. Peter got self-conscious and didn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. And he moved over to the Jew table, the Jewish table. And he sat there and uh, Paul says, that's not right. 
And so the two of them, we don't know many of the details about how that conversation went. I'd love to hear it. I'd love to know, was, was Paul fiery and angry with Peter? Or was he gentle with him? How did that conversation go? But at the end of the day, you could see what happened was they submitted to Jesus. They must have had the conversation and thought about, well, remember when Jesus was here on earth, how he would sit down and he would eat with anybody. He would just hang out with anybody. He, would, he sat with the, the, the Samaritan woman at a well, the Syrophoenician woman at the well. He, he let um, tax collectors and prostitutes and drunkards hang out with him. And he sat at the same table with them and ate with them. And they must have come to the conclusion that they needed to submit to Jesus' way of doing these things. It was a hard lesson for the early church to learn, but they figured out how to be the community of God when it was difficult. Secondly, what does it mean to submit to God's will when we question the direction of the authorities in our life? We struggle with this a little bit in our culture right now, so I think it's maybe an important one to think about. I don't have a lot of good answers for us on it, but I think we need to think about how we submit to the authorities in our culture. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 5 says, Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and, there will, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants, sent for your good. But if you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants, sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. This is revolutionary stuff. How do we work that out? I think we don't have all the answers, and we can't imagine all the difficult circumstances we might be in. But we can commit to submitting to God, submitting to one another, submitting to the Bible, and submitting to the authorities as long as that doesn't become destructive. This might take a good deal of prayer and discernment on our part. So thirdly, how do we practice submission to God's will when we know it will be painful? As we age, as our bodies give out on us, when there's disease or injury in our body, how do we submit to God's will in our lives? A few days ago, uh, a friend emailed me, uh, a friend with whom I've been walking for about four years now. About four years ago, this friend uh, went into his doctor just for routine tests, and in the process, they found some chemistry that looked a little odd, and so they checked him out, and they discovered a, a large tumor in his pancreas, and uh, a tumor on his liver, and, uh, and they, he was happy that the doctors had discovered this when he was, he was feeling fine and feeling healthy and didn't have any pain or problems. And so the doctors uh, looked at him and started him on appropriate medical treatments. And uh, 
I remember going over to his home and praying with him and his wife and his little daughter. And we prayed that God would uh, continue to uh, just heal this process. And for, for three years, he didn't have much trouble with this, uh, this tumor that was growing in his body. And he had some ups and downs with pain from surgeries they had to do to put in drainage tubes and this sort of thing. And, but the first three years were not too bad. But he connected with me this week and said, things are tough right now. The pain has ratcheted up, and, and now they're saying we've got to be a little more aggressive with what's going on in my body. But what I remember about this couple from the first day that I met them, they chose to lean into Jesus. That was their wording. They chose to lean into Jesus in the midst of this difficult time in their life. Some people become bitter or angry at God, but they said, we're going to lean into Jesus. And they did a lot of praying together. They listened to a lot of worship uh, music together. And they spent time just uh, staying focused and keeping Jesus at the center of their lives. And so as, we, as we've been communicating back and forth this week, I, I again uh, said to him what a, an inspiration he had been to me as they leaned into Jesus in the midst of this. So what does submission to God's will look like when difficulties come in our lives, when pain, when disease, when suffering comes along? I think it looks a little bit like the model of my friend who said, we're going to lean into Jesus in this. It's not easy, but we submit to God's will in these circumstances. We have prayed a number of times for this friend, and we've been praying that God would just heal him and this wouldn't be a problem, and it is still a problem in his life. So God doesn't always just heal things quickly. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. But the road can be rather difficult at times, and my friend has chosen in the midst of it to lean in to Jesus. So if we think of this practice of, of submission, we can see that I think we all have much to learn about it. There's still things we're learning all through our lives about how we practice submission, how we practice or how we submit to God's will, to the Bible, to the opinions and pain and, of others in our lives. Submission is a spiritual practice and it's also a way of life. We respond to Jesus by putting on that yoke of his that is gentle. We value other people. Their dreams and their plans become important to us because we submit to one another's needs in our lives. We may find that peace and joy are truly there when we submit to Jesus and put on his gentle yoke. I'm going to pray with us. I'm going to ask the uh, worship team to come up here again. We're going to uh, sing another song together, and then we'll close with a benediction. But let's just pray and ask God to help us in this process of submission. Lord God, we, we come before you as an act of submission. This world that we live in is challenging to live in but we submit ourselves to you. We submit ourselves to God, to our Bibles, to our families, 
to our spouses. We submit ourselves to one another. We submit ourselves to the broken and hurting of our world, to our neighbors, to the world in general. God, we submit ourselves and say we choose to live a life like Jesus did. We choose to not demand our own rights, but rather to submit to Jesus' will, to take his yoke upon us and live that gentle life that he lived. May we be gentle with others. May we be loving with others as Jesus was loving with all people. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.